0: you end up realizing how much God takes care of you and you end up almost being a placeholder. Like, you know, that that idea of a conduit is very true and very real when you get over there and then you end up stepping back and watching God use you.
1: I am thrilled to introduce this interview with missionary Justin Dye to Papua New Guinea. I'm also excited to announce that, Lord willing, there will be more interviews in the near future, one of which with a young lady that is dealing with a deadly bout, a battle with cancer. I'd ask you, if you would, if these... Interviews have been a help to you. If this podcast in any way has been an encouragement, share it with someone else, but also subscribe to this podcast. Now, there will be no Lions of a Layman podcast later today. I don't anticipate with the length of this interview that you'll have more time to listen to another one later on today. And so enjoy this interview. Thank you so very much for your listenership. Let me introduce you to Justin Dye. Thank you for joining us for another installment of the Mike and McCurry podcast. I am here with missionary Justin Dye, and we're just going to jump right into it. Brother Dye, if you would, give us a short synopsis, who you are, uh, maybe even dabble with your salvation testimony, but just give us a quick introduction to who you are.
0: Sure. Uh, My name is Justin Dye. I am a missionary working in Papua New Guinea. Uh, My wife's name is Kaylee, and then we've got three uh, little girls, Adrian, Juliet, and Madeline. Uh, and they're five, three, and nine months, so young kids still. Uh, We work in Pangaea, Papua New Guinea. We're in the southern highlands, kind of, we're basically right on the edge of the bush. I live at the last power pole on our highway, and then any of our ministry work is off in in Jungle Villages, and uh, we work with Chad Wells and Kirsten Wells. They're missionaries. They've been there for I think they're they're working on their 12th year right now, but he he's a second-generation missionary. We're out of Faith Bible Baptist Church in Eden, New York, to south of Buffalo. And um, yeah, so I grew up in a Christian home. My parents got saved when I was two. And, uh, you know, they've never been out of church since. We've always been in church. We My dad was military, which yours was too, so, you know, you understand that. You move around a little bit, but we were always in a good church. And, uh, you know, uh, at eight years old, uh, having heard the gospel multiple times from, you know, nursery age, all the way up to <laughs> through Sunday school and stuff, um, at eight years old on a Wednesday night, I was able to trust Christ as my savior. Um, like I said, we'd grown up in a Christian home, parents saved it too. So I had been through, you know, Sunday school and nursery, been hearing the gospel for about six years at that point, And, um, you know, it, it was just a Wednesday night that uh, with a with a Wednesday night service that was a typical Baptist Bible study, didn't have anything to do with salvation, didn't have anything to do with uh, a, a, even an invitation afterwards directed towards um, salvation. But, you know, the Holy Spirit basically convicted me and used all that I had been hearing for the past few years. And, um, you know, I was really thankful about that. Uh, looking back now, I know people who've gotten saved younger than I did, uh, but for me in my mind, I needed it to be real. Sure. Um, and I needed I need I can look back now and definitely look at the Holy Spirit's involvement as opposed to being convinced or swayed by some human words and that it's really been a blessing uh, to be able to see that. And now as we're, <laughs> as we're trying to bring our kids to salvation, it's something important in our life too. But like I said, um, just a Christian family. Dad in the military, parents saved when I was young, and uh, you know I'm I'm the first in our family for being in the in the ministry. Uh, we don't have I don't have pastors or or ministries, uh extended family or anything like that. But, but uh, still, just a blessing to to have gotten saved.
1: So working in Papua New Guinea, one of the most um what's the word I'm looking for um. You could say from a Westerner's perspective, and an American who's used to air conditioning and all of those things, a pretty forbidding area for a lot of folks that are used to Western comforts. And so talk a little bit about the Lord leading you in that direction, if you would.
0: So, uh, you know, as a teenager, again, growing up in church, not ever been out of church, going going to things like teen camp, going to youth rallies, and then, um, you know, uh, all that kind of stuff plays a plays a part in it. And um you know, God dealt with me when I was 15, went on, went on my first missions trip. Uh, went to visit Craig Ledbetter uh, in Ireland, and uh, fantastic guy, fantastic missionary, still over there. And that kind of, that was the, the jarring experience that I need to get me off of planning out my own life. Um, and, you know, I didn't have a calling to Papua New Guinea as a teenager and even as a, as a young adult, I knew God wanted, you know, he had claim on my life, and I thought it was missions. Um, God just had to work through and, and grow me through through, uh, through our church and some of those experiences. Um, but shortly after I got married to Kaylee, after, after in 2012, after both of us had been on multiple missions trips and gone different places and never had a leading uh, specifically somewhere, I've even had missionaries ask us, you know would you come over and work with us and it just never really worked out never really was the right move um, but we visited chad four months after we got married uh, took three weeks there and at the end of that three weeks you know chad was talking about uh printing the bibles uh in the king james pigeon language or well not the king james pigeon language but uh king james bible in the pigeon language and um you know he was just starting that project asked us to come over and help him and I just went back to our little house that we were staying in, the little guest house, and asked Kaylee, again, being married for four months only, um, asked her if she'd be willing to come back and uh, talk to some of the, the biblical authority in my life, our, our, the pastors that we we had leading us, talked to my parents and my in-laws, again, just getting out on our own, and everybody was for it. God started to open up doors immediately. So, uh, you know, he just... <laughs> I guess the best way I can say it is kind of like the Macedonian call that, that Paul had where he was trying to go places, trying to figure out what God wanted for him. And, you know, overnight it was, this is the place. And that's kind mm-hmm. of what it felt like uh, for us. And, it you know, it's just been an, <laughs> an adventure getting there and, and living there. So.
1: Absolutely. And uh, how much, I uh, may be, completely wrong in this how much growing up in a military household and i'm assuming moved around a reasonable bit here and here and there how much did that play in you just being willing to kind of just obviously just took surrender to god yieldedness i should say to god but do you think that background played any role in it feeling a little bit more like an adventure than this thing that i'm dreading or maybe maybe i'm completely wrong but would you speak to that a little bit
0: No, I definitely, um, I definitely think you're onto something because, you know, moving around as a little kid and as a young teenager and having to make friends and, you know, you're not really ever attached to anywhere for long and you've already learned how to say goodbye. That stuff definitely came in, in, you know, it it helped when it came time to, you're sitting up there at the Toronto airport, hugging people, trying to check in and then starting this adventure. So yeah, it, I think that the fact that, I mean, Kaylee's not military, but her her dad moved around quite a bit, almost the same amount that we did as a military family. And for both of us, you know, we know that family's back here and family's important to us, um, but we had already learned kind of how to say goodbye. And I, I don't want to make that sound callous. And you know, our family knows that we love them and our church knows that we love them, but it's just a skill you pick up saying goodbye and just making it kind of succinct. and Okay, we'll, we'll see you later. Right,
1: and of course we have the assurance of heaven and all of those things. Absolutely, um, but I, I have tried to figure out if, if I'm just emotionally stunted or what my issue is because <laughs> I, because not that I not that I enjoy saying goodbye by any stretch, but it's being able to, and I, it may be part of being a man as well, being able to compartmentalize things to the, um, chagrin of those around me sometimes, um, compartmentalizing too, too much. But, um, I, I do wonder sometimes, but I, I think at the end of the day, regardless of the upbringing, it really just comes down to yieldedness to what God wants. Cause no matter how difficult the goodbyes are, if it's God's will, then everything's, everything's a okay. It's all right. We can keep going.
0: That's definitely, definitely true. And, you know, that's that's what we found. And even, you know, some of what I'm sure we'll get into later on, you know, with with our experiences over the past year, um, this lesson goes back to that exact same lesson. There's some things you can't control. I mean, who we are around, you, you can't control. Um, but God gave us uh, kind of some companionship. Uh, we work with that team of missions. We work with Chad and Kirsten. We've got uh, Melanie Ellis, a, a single person lady over there who teaches in our school and man that that bond of friendship is something that has kind of uh softened the blow of leaving our home church and leaving our family but i'll tell you what uh we keep in contact with anybody who's willing to keep in contact with us through things like marco polo and whatsapp and over breakfast you know nighttime for you guys you guys are all going to sleep it's 10 o'clock and or 11 o'clock most people are turning in turning off their phones or whatever and we're sitting over breakfast recording Marco Polo's and and that's helped too um, and and you know I don't I, I read stories of you know all these missionaries that came before us Ed and Aaron, Justin and these guys who just went off in a straight line into the jungle and never looked back and you know I'm I feel like a lousy missionary but it's also a provision of God I live in a place where I do have a little bit of cell phone service it's not regular it's not fast but I got some and, you know, that kind of stuff helps too. But God God makes a way and he gives you what you need to fill fill some of those voids that happen.
1: Sure. And obviously you being in the States right now is the only thing that allows this intercommunication inter- to happen this rapidly and all of that. And you know, get, <laughs> may get a little frustrated with the, the reception we have right now, but I'm sure it's light years better than, than what you have there. What <laughs> is the internet situation there as far as the amount of... Uh, um, service you have is there a b- bandwidth issues? Are there a caps on how much you can do and and how many Polos can you send in a month? I'll look, I'll look. <laughs> um, so we we have
0: uh, we've got a cell tower right in town. I can see it from my porch, uh, but the fastest it is it's a three G network and it's prohibitively expensive. <laughs> mm. uh, you know Americans pay a, a, on average about ten dollars a gigabyte. We're up. Uh, 15 to 20 dollars sometimes hmm. and so we, we pick and choose what we want you know sometimes I'm I'm downloading uh repair manuals and pdfs or watching youtube videos and trying to keep a truck running and sometimes I'm able to send that on on marco polos and you know it's in and out powers in and out almost every day uh and that affects our our coverage too you know the tower will go down and it'll be down for a day and a half and then it'll come back in the middle of the night and I'll get a pile of text messages and a bunch of emails and you know, that's just life over there, though. It's all right. Yep. <laughs> you adjust.
1: Well, we'll be keeping a keen eye to the sky and see if uh, Elon Musk and some of these folks can actually provide real satellite internet and all those things that they keep talking about. Uh, we'll see if that actually happens. And hopefully so for your, for your sake over there in PNG. Now, you so you said you're at this point where you're one of the last at the line of where the, the bush becomes the real thing. And that's where you guys are at. Um, talk about going back in there and some of the, the, the cultural differences between what we know here in America and the way things are there. Uh, things, simple things. Now, unfortunately, in America, this is becoming more scarce, but just honesty and integrity and those things that are kind of not taken for granted like they are here and, and things like that. Talk about, for, for that from the Native side, things that you are dealing with um, not only spiritually, but just culturally, to even be able to get the message of the gospel across?
0: Yeah, so, um, you know, we uh, again, we live on Pengia Station. It's a government station. I actually have a paved road that uh, <laughs> comes right to where our mission station is. Uh, but to get to any of our ministries, we turn off of that onto a Stone Road. And then further back even, it's just mud, it's just dirt. You need four-wheel drive to get back there. And uh, we're in the Wiru Valley. We're at 5,500 feet above sea level in a valley. Uh, we're ringed about by mountains. And so the Wiru tribe, which is a, which is a pretty, pretty large tribe as far as highlands tribes go, uh, pretty influential. Uh, we, we've got about twenty to 30,000 people in our valley. And uh, about, maybe about a third of those house lines you can access by road. And yeah. then the rest is, is walking. So currently, we're working with a village called Kumiane. And I can actually see Kumiane from my house. You got to cross the river and cross the little gorge. Um, it's about a mile straight from my house, but it takes about 20 minutes to drive there. And, uh, you know, uh, it's almost once we cross the bridge out of Pangaea, because there's not electricity where we're ministering, even a mile away, it's kind of like Papua New Guinea five or ten years ago. And mm. even culturally, that shows up. If you hang around the high school kids in Panga, it's different than hanging around the high school age kids a mile away in Kumiane. And, uh, you know, as we, as we go, you, you start to learn about, like, like you said, some of the cultural differences. And uh, one of the things that was apparent uh, back in February is that news travels fast in the jungle. And you, you are known uh, by the very fact that I'm, I'm a foreigner and I'm driving – vehicles that are very recognizable and uh, you know uh, I think it was back in April of last year I was driving our we've got a it's like it's a 16 foot flatbed it's kind of our utility truck and I was going and picking up some supplies from from about an hour away almost at the end of that road that we take and driving back and I had you know the roads over there we have shoulders in in uh, the United States they have no shoulder it's this road and then it's down a foot or more into just scrub grass or, or jungle undergrowth. And I cut a corner too close, ended up ditching that uh, vehicle. And you know we had to unload it and I had a bunch of guys with me. I ended up trying to push that out. And then I ended up cutting through the jungle, climbing the cliff of that gorge that separates us from, from a bunch of stuff, crossing the river, climbing a cliff, grabbing another truck and a tow strap, driving back, getting that. And, you know, so I'm embarrassed because it happened. And Chad was out of the country at the time. So I'm like, Chad, uh, I don't think I broke your truck, but I did put it in a ditch. So, you know, (laughs) but it's all safe now. It's all handled. And I was surprised because, you know, a week or two later I was going back. And again, I'm I'm almost an hour from where we live. And yet these people are like, oh yeah, you're the new missionary who put a vehicle in a ditch. He was only there about (laughs) two hours. And they had already heard about it, and you know, all that. It's very community oriented. They're very, uh, they're very, the tribe mind is still there. They're, they're, uh, the where they live and the ground they live on is very important to them. And so that ends up translating into how we plant churches, too. We've got about, uh, probably about 40 churches uh, in the Widu Valley. Uh, <laughs> but you'd never know that because it's very hard to see all of them. And, uh, you know, people don't walk three hours to go to church necessarily um they want a church in their house line and so i i've got a church in about 20 minutes away maybe maybe 10 minutes drive uh or a half hour walk there's another baptist church uh but we are ministering to two different groups of people they're ministering mm-hmm. to a couple thousand in their house line and and the church we're starting is ministering to a couple thousand in our house line and you know like i said we're a mile from the government station and on our mission station there's a baptist church and but they don't, they don't mix quite that well. And hmm. so we end up with a lot of small churches as opposed to like a huge hub church where everybody comes in.
1: Sure. Uh, Absolutely. Well, that, that's, it's amazing to hear just the intricacies of how ministry is different. And we, we try to copy and paste the way we do things sometimes. <laughs> and it doesn't work out that well for us. Um, no. The, <laughs> the fact that, that the gospel does transcend cultural boundaries and the opportunity that that is there is amazing to hear uh so what is the plan for you folks as far as lord leading back with all of this nonsense and all these things going on what was the what was the time frame originally supposed to be i know your youngest daughter comes to play with that somewhat um and then the the path back what does that look like
0: yeah so originally we we got back to the u.s uh the day before thanksgiving and we were trying to get back to New Guinea by May. And um, you know, we were kind of on track to do that. And then March happened and the U.S. kind of shut down for at least, especially our end of the country, this northeast end of the country, really just shut down. New York City got hit really hard. Um, and uh, New Guinea also shut down at about the same time. Uh, and we had just been back and forth in February. Uh, we, we had to travel to the, the U.S. Embassy in Port Moresby to get some paperwork done for Madeline's birth certificate and, and her passport and all that, it, you know, with the the way the State Department's rules are, you can't take care of that inside the U.S. And our situation was special and not really supposed to happen. So we took a trip back in February just to the Capitol for a half-hour visit at the embassy, turned around and came back. And then uh, New Guinea set up uh, two-week quarantines and stuff like that. And you, had to, you still have to write and ask for permission to come in, but it's... We're, I think the government considers us essential enough that we don't have a problem getting back in, Good. Um, but it's still, it's still kind of a process and it basically it's inconvenient and it adds to your, uh, adds to your airfare. If I could put it that way, it basically is going to cost us an extra $2,000 to stay in the capital at a hotel that's approved by them for, you know, with meals and all that provided mm. on top of the airfare to get over there. So, um, you know, we're watching it and we're, we're keeping tabs on it. We still have some things to take care of back here. Uh, paperwork wise, mostly just because government agencies have been sh- shut down, um, and at this point we're we're hoping and praying for October, and it, it just depends on depends on the speed of government, I guess That's is right. a good way to put it at this point. But yeah, they 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 shut down domestic travel for a while back in April, and you couldn't even move, you couldn't even drive between provinces, and um, you know it really it really hurt and put put some of the missionaries that are still there, um, just kind of limited them, especially us, where we shop and where we get our supplies from, that's a province away. Um, And so, you know, then you're living off of rice and whatever you can buy at the market, fruits and vegetables wise, as opposed to some of the the other supplies we're used to getting. Uh, But since then, New Guinea's kind of opened back up domestically. Uh, I know the prime minister released a statement uh, a couple weeks ago, that they aren't going to lock everything back down. They know that they're a third world country and can't really handle uh, COVID nineteen the way first world countries are trying to. Um, and so I'm, I'm hoping and praying that again, that kind of translates over to international travel
1: too. Uh, we'll see. We'll see what happens. Amen. Well, we will pray that way. So October timeframe. And uh, for those that might happen to, and might, might, this is one of the reasons why I like to have missionaries on, if by some chance it gives someone an inkling that, hey, maybe they should be supporting you. How would they go about that yeah, I mean, if they'd like to, sending church and where support would go to and how they could contact you on social media and things like that?
0: Yeah, so we're, I'm on Facebook. You can search me for, uh, through Justin Die. Um, you can also go to my home church's website, FBBC.com. It stands for Faith Bible Baptist Church.com, FBBC. Um, and there's a link to my page on that website. Uh, all of our support details are there. Uh, if you follow us on Facebook, you can feel free to message me and you can get in contact with us through our email address dyes.png at gmail.com. So D Y E S dot png at gmail.com and uh like i said i check all that so uh, sure (laughs) communication is more than welcome so
1: and just so people do have an understanding as far as uh the needs and things what are so we've already mentioned about two thousand extra dollars just to get back in the country and things like that what are some other needs or even support levels and things that people could even just pray for you about
0: sure so um we raised since we came back on impromptu furlough uh, that means I won't be able to furlough on schedule. So we're kind of combining the the extra cost of the medical side for Madeline with what we know that we need for ministry. And so I'm about $500 a month away from that goal. So not not too much ground to cover, considering that I had a, a bunch of churches that were, uh, you know, it, it seemed like likely support. Obviously, you can't ever promise any of that. But a bunch of those meetings got canceled, and I've got kind of rain checks on those meetings um but like i said if we need about 500 more a month uh we need the we're, we're saving up for the airfare to get back typically it costs about 5 to 7000 dollars airfare to get our family back and forth um and then like i said if the quarantine still in effect that's another couple thousand for uh accommodations until we can get into the interior of the country um we're also uh praying for uh funds for a vehicle we've got some money towards that um we'll probably need realistically another $10,000 towards that. Uh, vehicles are just super expensive in Papua New Guinea. Um, even, I, I mean, I'm trying to buy something that's a 1990s Toyota Land Cruiser, and it's it's going to be several thousand dollars and then getting it so it can traverse the the, the things that I'm going to try and put it through <laughs> to get back to where we can. Um, so, you know, uh, I, I can say that, a lot of our medical needs uh, are just about all paid for, and um, and uh, God's really come through on that. So I've got no reason to doubt Him for the, the other things that we need. It's just uh, kind of just of a time game. <laughs> Apparently, Absolutely. we don't need it
1: today. <laughs> That's what tomorrow. I realized. The what and the why and all of those things are normally pretty easy to figure out. The what's <laughs> of God's will. It's the when. That's the hard right. part. The when is always <laughs> the difficult thing. And so appreciate the fact that you're willing to be patient and, and wait on God that way. So you have your wife and the three little girls and, and all of those things. I'm sure they're enjoying being able to spend some extended time with family, especially the little one and, and things like that. I know uh, Brother Crone and so many of the churches up in that neck of the woods are, have been such faithful supporters and, and been such a big help. And I know with this camp season, uh, being canceled and things there at a Common Ground. I'm sure that was a bummer for so many folks and so, so much fellowship that was going to be had. Uh, but what does your schedule look like as far as being able to get back into churches? Do you have some gaps open in your schedule for pastors that maybe want to plug you in? Or do you have enough rain checks that you think you're going to be booked up through your, your departure?
0: So we've got uh, the end of August and the beginning of September booked. I'm working on getting, uh, you know, I've got a lot of... Th- it's got kind of, you end up finding churches that can have you in right away our meeting this week um was a guy who had other other missionaries cancel because uh the way New York's being mm-hmm. right now uh trying to get into the state and do that so I was able to take up some of that time um and you know trying to plan our travels through the fall not knowing when we're gonna leave or if we're gonna leave so I still have opportunities in September and october um it I will book. You know November, and December, but it you know you, you get almost like a, a literal pain doing that, knowing sure. oh this could be a reality. I might still be in the U.S., but um, you know so the fall and and into early winter, I will I will definitely uh, make plans with churches. And so far, most of my meetings have only been a couple weeks out because um, you know everything's been up in the air and, and pastors that not, not everybody's tried to schedule too far out so right uh, so we definitely still have some room where we can book things
1: but absolutely well we'll just pray that maybe even without booking too many more readings the lord will just bring in the support <laughs> that is necessary and allow you guys to get back over there and definitely be praying for uh, the needs that are and would you say uh, you've already mentioned some of the needs but are would there be a specific prayer request just at the top of the list that you that you'd ask people to pray for financially or otherwise
0: uh, yeah, I, I guess the standard request that we've been given out, uh, just because it does seem pretty insurmountable with the amount of money is just that, that vehicle, mm-hmm. um, you know, we're, we're going to, we went and, you know, working with Chad, we've, we have access to some of his vehicles, but with Maddie and this, the situation that she's in, um, we would feel a little bit more secure if we... Had our own vehicle that, you know, I don't got to wake someone up at 3 a.m. and say, hey, I'm taking this. I'll see you in a couple of days. Right. You know what I mean? So right. that's kind of what we're working towards with that. And absolutely. And our ministry is is handcuffed to local area, which not that there's want of ministry opportunities around us, but um, there definitely are needs. You know, an hour
1: away. 45 That it does away. remind me is, uh, do you have any inkling or or it, it, bush pilots and things like that? Is that something that could be a part of the ministry in the future, or does your area even allow for it with jungle cover and things like that?
0: No, absolutely, and that's something that I know is um, it's it's in Chad's long term plan. Just because there aren't any immediate doors opened uh, right now, and I've got I've I've got a background in in flying too. I, I soloed in an the airplane, and so. Um, you know Panga the because it's a government station we actually have an airstrip and up until uh, a couple years ago it was just grass but it was landable you could land there with a with any bush plane and uh, they're actually redoing it right now it's going to be a fully paved tarmac because wow. there's, uh, there's actually an Israeli um, french fry company that built a factory in Panga and so they they buy up a lot of the crops around our area and they flash freeze and, and get French fries ready, and their their intent is to be able to have direct flights out of Pangia back to Israel. And mm-hmm. um, in February of this year, uh, this past year, we traveled to a a um, village called Arave. It's another government station. It's probably the most remote government station in our province. And it took about four hours to drive there in a straight line. It's a, it's only about forty kilometers from where we live, wow. um, but you have to cross about. Three mountain ranges, and go on roads that again, you know, you, it's good if you have four wheel drive, especially if it gets wet. It took about four hours to drive there. They've got a grass strip there that you can land a Cessna one hundred and eighty two if it's get you know if it's out, outfitted for short takeoff, short landing. And uh, there's a national pastor there, Pastor Timothy, who lives about a half hour drive from that station, and he has had a uh, a, a church where he lives. and he asked us to come out and do a tent meeting in Arava Station. And so we went out with Chad and with another missionary and set up the tent, did four days of meetings, and there was 50 people saved at that meeting. And that was, you know, with two new missionaries who had to preach through translators. And we, you know, we're, 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 we don't know anything because we had just gotten there a month and a half before. And that, that area is super open. It would take a about five minutes to fly there. Once you got up and turned in the right direction, about five minutes or a four-hour drive beating up your vehicles. And, um, you know, so that is absolutely 100% something that uh, could be a tool in the future and uh, could help
1: with things. Absolutely. Just for curiosity's sake, would that direct flight to Israel, would that be something that like a cargo plane that you folks would be able to make use of. I'm sure that'd be incredibly <laughs> convenient um, if it's possible. I have no idea. And, and with new travel th- restrictions and all of that, I'd be curious, but is that something that would even be a possibility?
0: This is definitely something we've discussed over coffee sitting in Chad's living room. <laughs> I don't know if it will be, I don't know if there's going to be special exemptions or like a special immigration office set up in Penga to make that happen. Or sure. if, if now that the prime minister's different our our prime minister when all this was agreed upon and when they were starting all this was our our member of parliament okay. and since then the political <clears throat> landscape's changed so it might be a thing where they're flying shipments to Hagen which again 2 hour drive for us about 8 minute flight if you're in a single engine airplane uh they might just ferry it over there and then Hagen will be the international hub but either either way uh moving an international airport into the Highlands would be extremely beneficial for us because at this point we fly into Moresby and then have to catch domestic flights, which, uh, you know, dollars for miles are just not cheap.
1: Right. Well, and and even though you'd be going the wrong way around, it would still be, um, I mean, just being able to get to Israel because there are legitimate, you know, direct flights. That would be just one stop instead of, I'm guessing, how many stops are there normally, how many legs, I should say, are there normally on a flight from where you are, to get to LA or wherever you fly out of or, or JFK, wherever it happens to be. Toronto Right. Uh
0: Yeah, so if you fly across the US you've got to connect to either uh, Chicago, Dallas, or LA are going to be your options. Okay. Uh, possibly Atlanta. And from there you'd either fly to Australia or you'd fly to Manila or Hong Kong or Singapore. Yep. Uh, from those countries it's a flight in and then we've got one flight and then, like I said, a two-hour drive hmm. uh, inside of the country. And so right. we're, we're kind of blessed living so close to Toronto, at least, you know, when everything was open, uh, we could drive up to Toronto, we'd have one flight to Hong Kong or Manila, one flight to Morrisby, one flight in, which was huge hmm. um, compared to the, the first time that we around the world. So flying back through Israel and Europe is just as feasible as flying through Asia. It's just, it comes down to timing and airfare really when we're, when we're, we search all that out and then just pick the best route for us. Absolutely, but, yeah, a direct flight to Israel would be a way more comfortable, <laughs> especially cool. if, you know, the plane, I can see it from my house in the morning before I go board it, <laughs> you know?
1: <laughs> awesome. Well, I greatly appreciate you taking the time and I pray for those that uh, may be listening that it might have been just a little bit of an encouragement and also just to consider that even in these times, who knows when the Lord's coming back. But until then, I, I realized recently, it doesn't really matter when the Lord's coming back. We still have a lot of work to do. It couldn't it If it was tomorrow, next year, or a thousand years from now, We've got plenty to do to keep us busy, and uh, not that we don't need to keep our eyes to the skies, but at the same time, we've got a lot of keep our eye on the shovel in our hand because we got a lot of work to do right down here. (laughs) And so, any last thoughts for those that might be listening right now?
0: Yeah, uh, I I would just say, you know, uh, for for those of us or for those of you who have followed our story with Madeline and coming back with a medical emergency, and you know, learning through. All this stuff I was, I was telling a missionary friend that, you know, these guys are all back in the States and they're reading their Bibles and theology books and kind of getting some of that down. And, you know, I feel like we've been left behind because the medical information that we've had to absorb and, and become proficient at. But, you know, it kind of goes to what we said earlier in the, in, in the conversation with how God makes a way for you. And even with Madeline, who's a little bit difficult to care for, and we're, we're definitely accepting some risks, uh, taking her back and some things, um, at this point, you know, God's handled, I mean, even getting us back to the U.S. with Maddie with her alive was just an answer to prayer and, and an instance where, you know, we're sitting there going, well, God, you've got to do something because I, <laughs> I can't do anything else. And a lot of this has felt like that through coronavirus and through our timetable getting upended and even some of the stories of being on the field and and some of the situations at the end of the last, last year, seeing God work through something where, you know, we had to be faithful and prudent and do the things that we knew that we ought to do and then just trust him to do what we couldn't control. And we found out that missions, whether it's medical stuff, whether it's you going into a village and you don't have public opinion on your side or the two heretical churches that are inside the village before you got there are fighting you all of that stuff you know it, you end up realizing how much god takes care of you and you end up almost being a placeholder like you know that that idea of a conduit is very true and very real when you get over there and you know you be obedient you deal with the sin in your life that god brings to your life and you be faithful in the things that you know you ought to do And then you end up stepping back and watching God use you. And so if if somebody out there is, God's dealing with them about going into the ministry or going into missions, and it seems insurmountable, it kind of is from a human standpoint. Um, But he has not let us down at all. That doesn't mean everything I've wanted has happened. But looking back, it's all been for our good and his glory. It sounds super cliche, but Uh, when you, when you've been through it, it it ends up being the best way to put it. Uh, He's, he's got you and he'll, you know, our pastor has kind of said to some other people when we came back and, and as we've been around the church again, you know, a lot of people go to pieces over, you know, some of these medical situations. And, you know, I can't sit here and say it's easy and, you know, that it, it was no big deal, but, you know, God gave us, And our our relationship was enough to sustain us. And it's the same way with missions. And it's the same way in the ministry as, uh, you know, as I talk to pastors, they've got heartache and hardship. And, you know, (laughs) God's there for you and God's with you and wants you to succeed and wants to help you and does empower you. It's awesome. It's an awesome thing to be a part of.
1: Amen. Well, I so greatly appreciate your time. And for those of you that are listening and have listened to the extent of this interview, thank you so much for your investment of time. If you'd consider doing a few things, number one, consider prayerfully prayerfully. Supporting the Die family, and as they go through this time of upheaval and different things, and decide about try to have the Lord's wisdom as to when to go back. Pray for them, and consider bringing up the Die family at the next business meeting at your church, or uh, when your pastor asks if you know of any good missionaries, and uh, and then stay in touch with them. And uh, I always appreciate when people want to pray intelligently about a situation. And so stay in touch with the dies if you would. And if you have any questions or comments, criticism, critiques about this podcast, uh, I know we had one or two technical difficulties, but that'll be all right. Either way, you can contact me. My text number is 309-316-7240. That is 309-316-7240. Brother Die, thank you so much for your time. Stick around for just one moment as we sign off.